Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels in our Santa Monica studios as we recap the final events of the ATP and WTA season. What a 2021 it's been. Joining me now on the line, our guest on today's show, fresh back stateside from no longer grounded anymore. It's Prakash Armitage. And Prakash, thank you for joining the show and uh, recapping the end of uh, an eventful, exciting year. Of course, of course. My pleasure. I uh, got uh, so, so glad that we were able to actually get it all in. When we saw our schedule at the beginning of the year, I was, you know, just really hopeful that, you know, with all the challenges, the bubbles, COVID and everything, that we could get most of them in. And, and look at it. We were able to hit all of the 1,000. Super, super lucky. Well, let's start with, uh, you know, the lead there. No longer grounded. Prakash Worldwide was back. You got to actually <laughs> travel again. Uh, it was yeah. nice to see you in Paris and then ultimately in Italy for the next gen and uh, then for the finals in Turin just now. Being there on site, what were your thoughts on just being back in the mix and, you know, seeing the players and seeing the fans react to the players as well? Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, look, uh, Cincinnati was, the first event where there were full crowds and it was, it was just next level. You know, you, you feel a little bit detached sometimes when you're doing all of the work and able to bring all of these, you know, stories of all these amazing warriors on, on the men's and women's side to, to the world, but you know, you're not really getting to interact with anyone. So not only did we get to interact with them, but we got to see them actually appreciate the players in person. It was, it was exceptional. And then now when you move into the indoor season, it's been a while, so you forgot that feel. Everything is magnified when it's indoors. You know, the acoustics and, you know, Paris did such a great job of sort of treating all the players like rock stars with that magical entrance that you come out of with the lighting and the music, the DJ. It was it was a vibe, Mitch. It was, mm-hmm. it was really cool. I also noticed, too, I mean, you could kind of speak to this, obviously, very well, but the players and in, in, you, you saw the reactions in Paris, there was a standing ovation during the Corda and uh, Medvedev match while it was still going on. The players responded very well and very enthusiastically to the fact that there was crowds there. It gave them juice, so to speak. 100%. Here's a perfect example. Uh, towards the end, Novak had come and spoken to me a bunch of times during the week. And um, he was, he was coming to us again after, after he had won the title one of the best matches I've seen in a while, him and Medvedev and, uh, and ATT uh, liaison who's, you know, been with, uh, been in that, in that position for a long time. Nicola Arzani was there doing it when I was playing too. Um, just uh, terrific at a job. He was, he was telling Novak, okay, Novak, we're going to go this way over to tennis channel, you know, to do the, to do the uh, interview now. And Novak literally waved him off because he wanted to sign literally every single autograph that he could sign. He was so generous, literally went to everyone, gave his hat to a young kid and 
you just find the players spending even more time than they already do. And I think that's because they missed it so much. It was it was beautiful. Like the vibes from both sides, players and the audience was was amazing. Well, it's great to see for sure. And, uh, you know, the tennis was elevated as a result of the fans and the energy being back inside. And the ATP finals again went to Alexander Zverev. He won his second year-end title in a couple yep. of years. And he did it the he did it the old-fashioned way. He took out the two top players to do it, beating, Medvedev, beating Djokovic and then Medvedev in the final. He got into this zone that we've seen him, where there's been some consistency issues with him, but especially inside Prakash, when he's serving well, when he starts fast, getting those breaks against Medvedev early in each set, it seems like he's a downhill player. And this wasn't the breakout moment that other players have had here. This was, I thought, the reasserting moment. Like, don't forget about me. I'm absolutely coming for the throne. Yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting year for Zverev. He had that really tough finals loss to Dominic Kane in the U.S. Open last year. And listen, those are things that can stay with a player and can affect you for quite some time. I, I've talked about this a few times uh, on on TC Live and and on TV that Stefano Tsitsipas I don't think has really been the same player after that French Open Finals loss. He was just so on fire, and all this he just hasn't been able to string it together. He looked sort of uh, uh, uninspired at Wimbledon, wasn't able to carry much momentum after that, and now of course he has this injury. I believe he may even need surgery. There bounced back to win one of the most prestigious, prestigious titles in all of sport in the Olympics. And the fashion that he did it in, coming back from that second breakdown against Novak Djokovic, just monumental. Then he threw up a Cincinnati title. He was phenomenal at the Open, almost beat Novak to make the final there. And now coming through here, for me, I think this is a career-defining year. Um, when, I, when I spoke to him after he won the finals, he said, listen, I'm as motivated as ever. It's obvious there's one thing missing from my resume right now, and that's a slam. And I, I truly believe he's he's going to get it possibly this year. He made some big strides on his weakest point, which has been that second serve. He kind of he said, "Listen, I I don't care if I double faulted this week. I had made a decision that I was going to go big, and he has such a high percentage of getting his first serve in. If he's going to do that on his second serve, it balances out, even if he's going to miss it a little bit." He came up with some giant 138-mile-an-hour second serves, a couple that I remember in particular, against Novak at crucial junctures. Yeah. And when he's playing confident doing that on a second serve and also opening up with that forehand down the line, gosh, it's like, it's like where do you go against it? Mentally, we've had our questions, and he's answered them so far this year, and, and it will determine what happens with the, with the Grand Slam results because, yeah, he looks as motivated from the Olympics on. He was arguably the best player on tour, just the, the, I mean, only, the only player to win this event twice to not have a major, too. So we'll see if that changes. He's still very, very young. Uh, he beat Medvedev in the final, Prakash Medvedev, who you mentioned won Paris in that epic match against Djokovic. And really, I think the good signs of this, obviously he didn't win the tournament, which he wanted to, but a lot of times after you win that first major, there's that letdown, it's natural, he actually played pretty well after winning the U.S. Open, as good as I think I can remember a player in recent memory playing after winning that first major. So what did you think about the end to Medvedev's season post-U.S. Open? Well, listen, again, a, a career year for the guy. He's a, he's a U.S. Open champion now. He uh, Paris, it's tough to pick apart anything that he did wrong. I mean, that match was just phenomenal. He was, he was right there. Novak pulled 
some <laughs> talent and skills that we hadn't really seen before from him. He all of a sudden pulls out this magnificent serve and volley game to, to take out Medvedev there, but the Baldwin really looked like the best player on the court. So I, I don't think he has anything to be um, sad about or, or, or feel shame about after Paris. And uh, and again, same thing in Turin. He, he won his he had picked up a nice winning streak uh, from previous year and finals through this one and uh, and just just ran into ran into a hot player you know he um, he played a fantastic semi against Casper Ruud just really the best match of the week and, uh, and and it was just one short he was one short there he was short in Paris but I still think a phenomenal end of the season yeah and I love the fact that he's open about what his goal is he wants you know more majors but he wants that number one ranking uh, it was somewhat within grasp you know it's going to be an opportunity for him to get there going forward and uh, Djokovic the third piece of this who, who lost in the semifinals but did pick up the Paris title coming back from you know the emotional drain of going for the year, year uh, calendar slam and being one match away Prakash but it was his ability to just come up with a different strategy mid-match and change his tactics Part of it you have to assume is because these young guys are on his heels. But just showing off his brain more than anything is what impressed me with these last couple of weeks for Novak. Yeah, um, the best analogy I can make is, listen, champions adapt constantly. You know, I mean, Jordan just was known for flying in the air and just completely obliterating everyone with his power and, and athletic ability and jumping ability and dunking fast break ability in the beginning of his career. All of a sudden, he comes back after the break and towards the end of his career, he has this fadeaway that no one's ever seen before. You know, you yeah. compare Kobe Bryant as number eight versus Kobe Bryant at 24 players, but Kobe always says, I'd, I'd much rather have 24 mm-hmm. over number eight. Um, even LeBron has adapted so well that he'll be, you know, at the, at the top of the NBA. I mean, gosh, what, 17, 18 years, something like that. So I think Novak's no different. You know, Fed, Fed is no different too. I mean, Fed put up those last few slams that he did in, I believe, 17, 18, with all of a sudden a, a much more powerful developed backhand. Yeah. The final of the Australian Open against Nadal, the backhand is the one that won in the shot there. So, you know, you find the great finding ways to develop and, and become better. And, you know, some of the serve and volley that Novak pulled out, I mean, you, you think back to the beginning of his career, he looked super uncomfortable at the net, mm-hmm. awkward and, and a bit off balance. And here, I mean, you know, it, it was a hearkening back to some of the beautiful uh, serve and volley days of Edberg and Becker with, with the way he was able to, you know, be up there and control and cover the net. You got the chance to talk to him a few times. We know he's a confident guy, also very respectful. Do you think he senses that these young guys are making their move, that they're gaining ground on, on, the, on the top of the mountain? Um, I wouldn't necessarily think he looks at it like that i think look when number one which he has been uh pretty dominantly for the last what 10 11 years uh, aside from a couple of spins here and there with with roger and rafa uh and of course Andy, if you're number one you always have people nipping at the heels you know sometimes it's the young guys who develop into contenders a medvedev who's right there or older veterans i mean as far as he's looking at it when you're on the top spot, you always have those guys cutting at you, and it's just up to you to figure out ways to keep holding them off. You know, Stefanos wasn't in Novak's category a couple of years ago, 
but all of a sudden, look what he almost did in February. Uh, I'm sorry, in June. But at the end of the day, Novak still managed to win that match, still win French. So I don't think he minds how close they are as long as he still, you know, keeps keeps getting over the hump. But from an outside perspective, from all of us, that gap is is closing. You know, even though Novak did win three slams this year, you know, these, these top guys, Zarev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, they've shown that they're, they're right there. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Kasha Amritraj on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to make a more effort of doing, I don't think gets enough credit, is just highlighting the other runs. It's not just about the player that hosts the tournament trophy, but who else impressed and who had good moments in this uh, tournament and going forward. Got to give props for Kasha to Casper Ruud, who made the final yeah. four. Uh, and, and what a run it's been. Two years ago was having to qualify for Masters 1000s events. Makes it to the top ten, makes it to the year end finals, gets to the final four, and uh, making history yeah. for his country in Norway. Just a phenomenal year and a great accomplishment for him. Phenomenal year, and again, a guy who who <laughs> has shown adaptation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, look at the beginning; he was oh, he's only winning on clay. All of a sudden, he started having some good results on hard court, and in turn, I mean, this was another level because it was so. He was more aggressive on his serve. His forehand is just open. He was able to still prepare and take the cuts that he wanted at it. Backhand proved up solid. And I found him at the net way more than yeah. he has been, showing great technique up there. And look, if you're able to do an event like that, you have some time there, and then all of a sudden actually have some wins at it, man, that is going to give you some confidence moving forward on that surface or, or similar type of fast surfaces. So just giant strides for him. And what I love about him is his attitude is, it's a very humble attitude on the outside, and I, I do believe he is that way. I mean, he said, I'm so happy to be here. And when they talked about, oh, well, it's the best four in the in the semis, he literally said, well, listen, they're one, two, and three. I'm I, I'm not the fourth best player yet. You know, I, I still got some ways to go before getting there. But while he says that, and, and it's, almost, it's almost taken a bit of pressure off of him because deep down, look, we saw the hunger. We saw the belief in him. So I, I love that balance that Casper has. Yeah, he put the hard work in. You know, he put the real time in to uh, on and off the court to get to this point. And a big win over Rublev to make the semis. Uh, also want to give props to Yannick Sinner and Cam Nori, alternates who got a chance. In Sinner's case, he actually wins a match. But these are great experiences for these guys uh, to take advantage of the moment and, and prove that old sports adage for Kashi. You always got to be ready, and you never know when your number is going to get called. Yeah, it was a little unfortunate because, you know, at- I think if Sinner got in a little bit earlier, that would have had a good shot to make the semis. I mean, look, not only did he play a, a unbelievable match against Herkot, but he, he lost six in the third to Medvedev. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, he could have taken him out. All of a sudden, he's, he's sitting at, at two and one. Uh, you know, if he had had that third match in there, you know, who knows? But again, just one of my favorite kids on the tour. I mean, he, he's just got such a humble a nice attitude. He works so hard. His body language is so good on the court. He doesn't get upset. He gives it everything all the time. He's he's 
even though he's young, he's the type of player that a lot of upcoming juniors should look up. I agree with that. I think he's doing it the right way. He's handling his business. Those two players, Sinner and Nori, stepping in for injuries to Berrettini and Tsitsipas, we hope will be okay heading into 2022. Speaking of that, before we turn the page to the women's side of things, Prakash, just want to mention the, the somber news with Roger Federer's health. We're not going to see him for a long time, probably not even up until and through Wimbledon. Uh, unfortunate for him to, to get to this point. We had kind of been thinking about it, that this might happen, but that now that it's out in the open, I think everybody's on the same page, just hoping that Roger does get a chance to finish his career on his own terms, which sadly, a lot of athletes don't get that opportunity, and, and unfortunately, Roger might be one of them. You know, it's an interesting thing when you say on your own terms. I don't really think any athlete finishes their career on their own terms, save for someone like like Pete. You know, Pete, Pete won the U.S. <laughs> Open and closed the book. You know, that is yeah. a decision where the athlete, the athlete is really making it. You know, Pete could have, I mean, look, if he wins the U.S. Open, you would surely think he has a shot at winning a slam the following year, especially one like Wimbledon. But he closed the book, and that is very clearly a decision in his hands. I mean, everyone else, you're, if you're lucky enough to be healthy, you're still closing the chapter when you're a little older than, than you want. Your game isn't quite there, and you're to some degree being forced to do it. I guess the, the hopeful on, on your own terms aspect yeah. is if you can do it at a tournament of love, if you can do it while your health is still good, even though your level may not be at where it once was. So it's a, it's a very fine line. Look, with Roger, we just, we hope everyone can give him the appropriate goodbye that he truly deserves. You know, I hate to use the term almost, almost farewell season, but quite frankly, he's given all of us so much, not just in sport, outside of sport, the ambassador he's been for the game, for business, uh, everything it's difficult to quantify and put into words but because he's given so much in such a magnificent positive manner it would it would really be beautiful if we could give him his flowers in the in the appropriate way you know and that's why we all hope that he can get healthy and come back and i also love what he said about the fact that listen you know i you you believe in the impossible and dreams can come true and it would be a dream to go after another slam and a grand slam final. And listen, when it comes to the greats in any sport, I don't rule anything out yeah. because I truly believe that, you know, the impossible is possible. And, and why not? You know, I mean, some of the greatest moments we've seen have all been things that have been considered impossible. So while I still have the hope that we might see, you know, a spectacular moment from Roger in his, in his last few years, what I really hope for is that we can give him the goodbye that he deserves. Yeah, and in general, I just wanted to also say, like, I'm not normally for uh, the long goodbye farewell tours, but he's an exception, you know? (laughs) Like, I think they should be reserved for people like him, and it's mostly, you know, it is almost equally to what he's done off the court and what he's meant to the game away from wins and losses. So we're all just rooting for the best, and uh, hopefully he can get back out there in some capacity. Uh, Prakash, I know you've been traveling a ton, and I know you had a blast over in Europe, but part of me knows that deep down you wish you could have you know, taken part in the uh, event, that the celebration that took place in Guadalajara, because they put on a show for the WTA Finals. They did. They absolutely did. I played 
a big challenger there uh, a bunch of years ago. I believe it was 100 or 200 or something like that. Um, I believe it was at the same site in Guadalajara. I had a wonderful time there. I mean, look, the Mexican fans love the sport. They really appreciate it. The atmosphere is beautiful. And personally, I just love all the time I've spent in Mexico. I've played all over Mexico and just had a had a brilliant time. So I would have loved to have been there. And and boy, what what a what a tournament that was put on there. I I, I love what Paula has been able to do this year. Um, she's got strides. I think she's brilliant for the game. She's got a wonderful personality, very very magnetic. And the same with Garbinia as well. I mean, look, she's she's already put up a couple slams on the board, but I think this was this was huge for her. Because yeah. She hasn't had, I think, a win on this level for a little time now. And again, she's one of those that, you know, she's always smiling and it's a genuine smile. And she really partakes in the culture wherever she goes. And she shares all that with everyone. I remember when we, uh, Vijay and, and, and myself, we ran our, our tennis league, the Champions Tennis League in India, um, I believe in for 2014, 2016, Garbina came. She put on a sari and was totally embracing the whole culture. And you know what? That's what this game is all about. It's the most international sport out there, and it's played all, every single end of the globe to the other. So when the players, superstars like this, embrace that, it's, it's, just, it's the best thing, not only for the sport, but for bringing people together. Garbini's uh, performance here. I mean, the matches were just great top to bottom, it seemed. There wasn't many blowouts. There was a lot of drama. The fans were all about it. Uh, Garbini beats her country mate Paul Bedosa in the semis and then goes to the final and knocks off the the player on the biggest heater in the WTA, Annette Contivate, who couldn't lose, it seemed. Garbini yeah. wins the last couple games of the match to win it. And uh, her year, I mean, it was a strong start. There was an injury in Charleston, but she righted the ship and finished strong. And, and you mentioned it. I think it was a process for her to just you know, deal with some off-the-court stuff. Conchita Martinez and her reunited. She seems like she's always having a good time, always embracing the culture and uh, playing the playing her best tennis and, and honestly reminding people that may have forgotten that she's one of the best players in the game and, and more majors will come because she doesn't seem like she's slowing down. Absolutely not. And listen, let's not forget how complete she is. You know, I mean, look, she's beaten Serena in some big matches and she was playing tremendous tennis as well. And look, she's the kind of player that can win on all surfaces. You know, I mean, this obviously came on hard courts, but you know, her Wimbledon title, her French Open title, this is this is a player who who can be number one in the world, who can win on all surfaces, who can employ tactics at the net, at the baseline, serve tremendously well. She's got such a brilliant stature to be able to do all these kind of different strategies. It's um, look, I, I I can't say enough about her. I hope she just continues to stay healthy and embrace what it takes to continue being at this level. The other semifinalist, too, you mentioned Bedosa, but it was Contevit and uh, Sakari. So not a, not a traditional semifinals for the end of the year, but opportunities seized by some players representing some countries that aren't known for tennis success, Contevit and Sakari especially. Just phenomenal years to get there and uh, you know have their best career seasons, peak at the right time, and uh, show that they're in the mix for the future of women's tennis. Listen, Mitch, everything you're saying, that's sort of the definition of the WTA yeah, right now. Yeah. It's, it's players who are seizing opportunities from countries we may not have seen. And that's why it's such a beautiful time for the WTA. It, it, it's showing complete representation all over the world. And all of these young women, they are hungry 
I mean, I love Maria Sakura. I mean, she gets out there. She gives it everything. Watching her fight is, is one of my favorite things out there. And you talk about Kantovic. I mean, what a year. You know, I mean, she has put up so many match wins out there. It, it, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, look, I think all of these players that have come on from them to, to uh, Leila Fernandez, Radicanu, they're, uh, they're kind of giving belief to everyone out there. You know, saying, hey, you know what, I can do this too. Yeah. And and that's a great that's a great thing for bringing more people into the game and and breeding more champions. Last thing on the on the women's game, uh, for gosh, do you have a, a pick right now for player of the year? I mean, there's Ash Barty's start, Krejcikova was up there. I mean, it's it's gonna be tough to make that decision on the women's side. Yeah, that's uh gosh, it's uh, you can make an argument for a, a bunch of different players, but uh, overall, you know, it's tough to you know go against the, the world number one. Mm. You know, I think I think you're going to have to go with um, with that. I agree. I think it's tough, but I do think it's Ash Barty. Um, her year was just yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame we didn't see her in Guadalajara. Mm. But listen, I spoke to her throughout the year, and she has stayed away from home from. Mm. Uh, before Miami, all the way through to Open. So, uh, listen, this this champion, who by the way just got engaged, so lots yeah, of love congrats. and lots yeah. of um, uh, happiness uh, out to her from from all of us. But listen, I think she earned the right to be able to take a little bit of rest at the end of this year. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Gosh, Armitrage on Tennis Channel Inside In. It's been a fun chat. Uh, last thing, I have to ask you about this uh, because you're, you're, it's near and dear to your heart as well. On Friday, the movie King Richard came out, and uh, you, you got to grow up a little bit with the Williams sisters there. This was a, a phenomenal movie. I've seen it recently. It's, it's a great job. Will Smith's going to be getting recognized for his award as Richard Williams. But thoughts on this story, this, uh, this feel-good story, this real-life story, making it to the big screen in uh, such a tremendous uh, way. Yeah, listen, I, I, I'm not sure if you caught it, but my November uh, uh, feature in my What's Your Code series in GQ India was all about this. I, uh, I saw the film in the summer, uh, in August, and I was, I was in tears. I was crying, and it, it, it touched me on so many different levels, especially having spent a lot of time with, with Richard Williams and, and, of course, so much with the family. They've, they've changed my life in, in a way that I... You know, I, I'll never be able to express. And my hope was just that this film, you know, gives even a fraction of that same inspiration to, to the rest of the world. I, I've been aware of this for quite some time, since 2019. The producer of the film who developed it, uh, Tim White, is, has been a good friend of mine for, for the last uh, 15, 20 years. And um, when he said he was taking this on, I was, I was so thrilled. And he, he really wanted to honor them and really brought them in from... Uh, Isha, uh, Isha Price, um, in particular, to uh, really, you know, harness script and make sure it it honored them in the right way, and he really did it the right way. So, a lot of credit to Tim and his brother Trevor, uh, Star Thrower Entertainment, who who spearheaded this. And um, 
look, I, I can't say enough about the film. I mean, even the soundtrack, you know, the scene where they're playing Kenny Rogers, the gambler, when, when Richard is driving across the country to Beyonce's song at the end, it just, I thought I could hit every moment correctly. The young girls who play Venus and Serena were so phenomenal. Look, we could spend another whole couple podcasts on Will Smith. He's been, you know, one of my greatest inspirations and influences uh, in my whole life. I, I just finished reading his book last week. And, you know, I, I truly think he will get the Oscar that he he has been chasing and deserves um, for this film. So, look, anyone out there listening to this, you want to, you, you want that little bit of inspiration to go and do everything that you're meant to do, um, please, please go go watch this. And, uh, and I know Tennis Channel um, has retweeted my piece from GQ India as well. Have a read. I, I break down the film a little bit and, and the important aspects of it, what, what you can take away. Uh, just really, really beautiful. I'm glad the world gets to, gets to share this. Yeah, hearing people like you who've lived part of this story uh, say that it was well done means a lot and really, you know, gives validity to the movie, which was great. And, uh, you know, at, at its core, I think movies and, and media, you know, should be able to inspire and, and tell the, the proper story and inspire people out there who might not be in the best situations or the best setting, that, that there are things that are possible that are extraordinary. So that's what I'm taking away One, from this movie. 100%. And making the movie in itself is is a complete celebration of life. You know, I was I was just completely shattered to not be there at, at the premiere. Um, not just the LA one, but the London one as well. They fell on the 14th and 16th. I literally started Turin on the 14th, so I was just absolutely shattered to not go. But the premiere in LA, it was it was a celebration. It was just all the closest family and friends, literally celebrating this love and, and kind of as we do, as we all get together, the times we've all kind of got together and had, you know, dinners and, and partied and danced, it was in that vibe. And I think the, the fact that it was celebrated in that manner, the fact that the movie was made in that manner, that's, that's all going to come across. I mean, their, their closeness as a family is what people should take away. And that closeness and the love that started with the parents, that is what allows absolutely anything on this planet to be done and that's really the, the message that i don't want you to take away prakash amitraj you can catch him on gq india and, and uh, prakash worldwide on tennis channel thank you for joining me on the podcast make sure you rest up though because 2022 you're gonna have a full slate so you're gonna need to really be re-energized my guy, I cannot wait. Appreciate you, Mitch. Look forward to seeing you in person soon, my man. Prakash Armitage, that was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. You can catch every episode on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast and find all the shows on the network there. We'll be back next week and the rest of December for some more exclusive interviews and tennis discussions. I'm Mitch Michaels for Prakash Armitage. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week. <laughs>